Good morning. Um, today's reading is from 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. <clears throat> Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, and though, uh, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all the kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our, confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep to you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and there be no division among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is that one of you say, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and, wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligence, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, is, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jewish, to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power, God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become of us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it is written with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom amongst the mature, but not of the wisdom of the sage, or of the rulers of the sage, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that, have been, that has been hidden, and that God's destined for our glories before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the thing God has prepared, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep inside. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolish, foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person who the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgment. For who has known the Lord of the who for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And that again was 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Hello, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> what an interesting series of events. Um, so if you have not heard yet, has anyone said anything about it? No. Good, great. Uh, about an hour and a half ago, I was, like about an hour and a half ago, I was uh, in, going into my car to, uh, to just lift up the seat and put in my child's seat, uh, my, my child's car seat, I should say. So the car seat is being a little bit stubborn, and so as, is, as most intelligent people would do, I tried harder <laughs> to just force it. So I'm trying to lift this seat up, and it's stuck. And then at that moment, I don't know exactly how it happened. I don't know what hit my face, because the seat is rather soft, because it's a seat. Do you know what I mean? But then... So it struck me, it struck me for sure, I know that much. <laughs> By my own strength, <laughs> I struck myself. Like it would be the same as just punching myself in the face. But I pulled it, I yanked the thing, and uh, pulled it, and it hit me. And then either that split my eyebrow open, or me hitting something else after being struck split my eyebrow open. It immediately started to gush blood. And I walked into the house just to see what was going on, like just to see like how bad it was. And it turned out it was a rather deep cut. So I drove to a care now and I said, hey, it was at this point, it was 9.05 or 9.10. And I said, hey, I've got to preach in like an hour and a half in Denton. You think we can get this taken care of? And the lady at the front desk was like, yes. I think so. And so I went back there, and the nicest doctor in the whole world uh, met me, and she was like, hey, so you're a, a pastor, huh? And I'm like, yeah. And so we just started, we talked about church, we talked about life and stuff while she injected my eyebrow with lidocaine, and <laughs> I got three stitches. And then I told her before she was finished, I was like, can you put like a huge Band-Aid on there, like to make it look like it was way worse than it is? I'm just joking. She did that all on her own. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, can I take this off? And she was like, it's probably better to just leave it on there for now because it's going to bleed. And so you can see it's like the, <laughs> there's some blood coming through. So may or may not have a concussion. In fact, if anyone has ibuprofen, that would be wonderful. Oh, here we go. First row. There we go. Thanks, Carissa. Appreciate that. I don't know how many times you've seen a pastor being medicated in the middle of a sermon. Could you uh, just maybe pour it out into my hand? Yeah. I don't know how many you're supposed to take. Probably not seven. Probably not seven, though, Clarissa. Even with a concussion, I know that. This is a good number? Is three? Okay, let's do two. Take one. Adam, listen, don't ever trust your wife on medication. Three? Okay, three, three, three. Let's do a show of hands. It's like Price is Right. Who thinks three? Who thinks three? Okay, great, great, great. All right. Ibuprofen with a coffee chaser. Um... 
So now that the wheels are completely off, I'll dive into our, uh, our subject matter today. By the way, it really, it looks worse than it is, um, <laughs> unless I pass out in the middle of this thing. I haven't felt like I've needed to, so hopefully this whole thing can work out. Um, but man, I can't help but think that the enemy has some sort of like problem with me being here. Last week I was supposed to preach and I got a stomach bug that was like Armageddon stomach bug, whatever this thing is going around. And there's been numerous times that that's happened. Anytime I'm supposed to preach somewhere else, just smooth sailing. Everything's fine. Uh, and Denton, for some reason though, man, I don't know what is going on. Um, so yeah, take that for what you will. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 today. If you're like, man, why are we in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2? Didn't Leslie just preach on 1 Corinthians 1 last week? Uh, that's because I was, again, because I was sick. Leslie's been stepping up big time, by the way, coming in clutch. I heard she delivered an awesome sermon last week. Um, yeah, uh, talk about people that have the life to back up the words. Uh, that's a woman right there that does for sure. So, yeah, um, so this week... Um, I'm going to actually cover what I was planning on covering, which is 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Um, I'm not going to choose just like one specific verse. I'm going to try to just cover uh, the scope of, of those first few chapters. Uh, and I'm going to head it up into to three different sections. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this kind of expositional preaching doesn't really lend itself to the whole like, you know, point one. If you're going to blank with God, then you've got to blank with, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> if you're going to walk with God, you've got to work with God. Like, stuff like that. Um, even though I think those are really cool. Uh, so uh, I don't have any, like, punchy uh, points, but I can tell you about sections. Like, I'll tell you what section that we're in, at the very least, all right? So that we've we got that going for it. So we're going to let the text kind of dictate what we speak about. Um, quick note, you know, the reason that we chose Corinthians uh, as a sermon series is because uh, we kind of have some stuff in common uh, with, this, with this church. They're a young church. Uh, they're trying to grapple with wisdom and unity and growing into maturity as a church together. And that's so what we have here. In case you don't know, and this is the main thing that struck me whenever I first came to DNC, I'm like, oh my gosh, it is so young I'm like one of the oldest people here, which like is like, you know, Don's laughing about this because it's like, you're the, one of the older people. Um, yeah, Don, that's a, that's a, that's a problematic thing. <laughs> if I'm like one of the elder people, I'm definitely older than everyone in that section. Maybe not here. I see some parents here. So that's, you know, that's, uh, by the way, welcome. Uh, if we haven't said that. Um, this is not how it always is. I promise I don't usually walk in like I've been in a fight club situation. I promise that is how it went down. Uh, you should see the other guy. Uh, the seat is still down, by the way. I Somehow after getting it up, I looked on the way here and I saw it. It was down again and I was like, ah, next time. But Corinthians, this, 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 uh, this letter from, from Paul to this young church, he'd spent about a year and a half or so there, this letter that he writes to this young Gentile church, and remember, they don't have this huge background uh, at all in, uh, in, in, in uh, the Jewish understanding of Yahweh, the, this, this one and only God, especially the nature of Yahweh. So Corinthians is Paul's letter to them, his, both of his letters. He probably wrote more than those two, but... Corinthians is about Paul trying to, um, to speak into the problems this church is facing. And in every turn, he's going to say, here's the problem, and here's how that does not look like Jesus. And here's what looking like Jesus does do and will fix in the community. But everything is about looking through the lens of the gospel. And I want you to think about that phrase. The lens of the gospel seeing everything through the lens of the gospel. So what we see is Paul pointing out problems in the Corinthian church and then saying, look, here is where that doesn't match up with the gospel. And it's because you're still looking at it through a worldly point of view. You're still looking at it through something other than the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, uh, Paul is later going to say, 
we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And listen to this next one. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, when he says every thought, I know that that's usually used to mean like every wayward thought you have in your mind. That's not like an unchristian principle. It's just not, you can't really argue it from this passage. This passage is saying we take captive every idea in the world, every idea floating around, every political ideology, every ideology surrounding everything from education uh, to friendship to race to whatever. We take captive every single one of those thoughts, and we're supposed to make that obedient to Christ. In other words, we're supposed to take the ideas that are floating around in culture, take them captive, and say, all right, do you know Jesus? Idea. How do you match up with my Lord? How do you match up with what I know to be true about Jesus? That's what we're doing. See, we're all wearing lenses. Every single one of us is wearing lenses. We're wearing these, these glasses that shade the way and they distort uh, or bring into clarity the way that we see the world. And as disciples, we're supposed to be wearing the lenses or the lens of the gospel. When we fail to do that, we begin to lose our vision. We begin to lose sight of the truth and of reality. When our lenses become fogged or, or changed in something other than the gospel. So in the Corinthian church, even though it's about 2,000 years ago, studying this church and the, their past can help us avoid the same human errors that have spoiled human relationships with God and one another since the Garden of Eden. They're engaging in the exact same things that our culture is engaging in. They're engaging in the exact same things that we engage in. If you thought for, at some point we've just stopped having those problems, or these are new problems, these have never existed before. They never had to deal with COVID, you know, so surely their faith is much different than ours. I would say you're probably wrong. So, these first two chapters I'm going to argue about are about three main things. Unity, wisdom, and the spirit. That's what we're going to talk about today, okay? So section one, unity. In 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 12, Paul says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. And then you, you heard Paul's kind of sarcastic, scathing rebuke of that, right? He's like, was Paul crucified for you? Remind me again, you know? He, and by the way, I don't know how people can read these, especially this letter, and not see Paul's uh, sarcasm and his edge. Not to mention he says stuff in Galatians like, I wish those people would go ahead and castrate themselves. The people that are lying to you about the gospel. Castration, by the way, means to literally cut off the, male, the entire male genitalia. That's what Paul says. He says, I wish they would do that. The ones that are lying to you about this stuff. Paul is at no point, <laughs> at no point, Paul is not this soft-spoken, kind of like edgeless individual. This man cares passionately about God, and he cares passionately about the truth, and he cares passionately about his churches that he wants to follow God and obey the truth. So Paul's response is actually before this, which is funny, right? So 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Oof, that's pretty easy, right? Be perfectly united in mind and thought. All of you agree with one another in what you say. Now, all we got to do is teach the church to believe what you believe. Right? That's how we achieve unity? 
No. That's what everybody thinks, though. If everyone would think the way I thought, then we could achieve perfect unity and be united in mind and thought, correct? How could Paul say something like this? Was he using, I just smacked that thing right here, so that's going to be a part of the recording. It's like, poof. Um, so how can Paul say this? Surely he knows, surely he knows that's impossible. Is he using hyperbole? Is he just like, hey, let's just aim for the stars and maybe you'll hit the moon? Is that how the saying goes? Something like that? I think no. I think he's saying something real. So let's do this whole problem and solution thing then. The problem is that there are corals. By the way, quick, quick side note. He says someone from Chloe's household informed me this stuff was going on. And in some, in some ways, it's fascinating because whenever I've said this to people, like so-and-so said this to me, or someone came and brought to me this thing about you, their first question is, who told you? Right? As if that's the main problem involved. That is not a problem. That is a part of Christian community. Get used to people talking about you. That's not gossip unless they're intentionally trying to slander your name and say something untrue. If they say something true that you did to someone that could help about it, then that is living out the gospel. Okay? I want to make sure we're on the same page. The reason Paul even knows about this is because someone snitched. <laughs> someone from Chloe's household was like, Paul, something's going on here. And a bunch of other people are like, shh, Chloe's household or whoever it was from Chloe's household. <laughs> I bet you Chloe's household, the person that said, by the way, was like, Paul, you didn't have to say someone from Chloe's household. <laughs> you could have just said someone said this. <laughs> Be truth tellers. If, you, if, you, if something's going wrong in our church, we have to call fouls. Okay? We have to be able to call fouls. Now, I don't mean go call it on Facebook and go call it to everyone that will listen. I mean talk to some people that can help. Talk to ministers, talk to people close to that person, talk to that person themselves first, that kind of stuff, right? So the problem was quarrels and divisions, and Paul's solution is to stop pledging allegiance to people and ideas outside of Christ, and instead to pledge allegiance only to Christ, and to choose to be united. And yet today I hear some say, I follow Republican. I follow Democrat. I follow my favorite podcaster. I follow this news source. I follow CRT. I follow my counselor. I follow my pastor. You might say, well, aren't we supposed to follow godly people? This is a part of what he says whenever he's talking about being unified. Certainly, we follow other people sometimes, right? It's a necessity. Don't say this to your boss at work. Say, my pastor told me I don't follow anybody except for Christ. And he's like, I just asked you to work your job. Just do your job. <laughs> I only follow Christ. <laughs> Surely you can see how taking this to the extreme is not what we're going for. But rather, remember in our, uh, our values, what's number one? Simple devotion to Christ. Simple devotion to Jesus. Paul's response in verse 13 is hilarious and also scathing. Is Christ divided into little parts? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Think about that. Were you baptized in the name of this pastor? Were you baptized in the name of this counselor? Did that counselor die for you? That news source, that ideology, is that, is that the good news? The good news is that we live in a horribly unjust system and we've all just got to fight the oppressor. Man, that's crappy news because it's a war that we're just bound to lose. Evil men continue to flourish no matter how much we care about justice. It's terrible. It's awful. There's only one way to fight it and that's with Christ. Only Christ can change people. Only Christ can change the world. That's a baseline truth of the gospel. Follow Christ and follow with measured assent those people who espouse Jesus' truth and his worldview. So if you're following someone, your first question should be, how much does this person reflect Christ? If you want to follow different ideological worldviews, you have to start with who's the one that brought that into the world. 
Was it Plato? Was it Socrates? If you believe in dualism? If you believe in conflict theory and sociology, do you realize that's Marx, Karl Marx? Do you realize what he thinks about Jesus and religion? That's the worldview he espouses? If you think about it from a psychological perspective and, you know, Freud, is Freud who you follow? Was Freud crucified for you? Many of us engage in different professions that require us to be knowledgeable about all kinds of different philosophers and uh, experts in their fields. But the question is, does that person know Christ and espouse his worldview? And to what degree? The point is simply that we would be unified by our following of Christ together, not in the many other voices that we hear and may disagree on. In Christ alone is what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. As a side note, I'm really proud that we have a church filled with distinct voices and different views. It is an absolute mess. If you look at our family of churches and the differences between what different people are believing in different things, it's like Sirach said during the BIPOC panel. Remember the guy that came up with Tim and said something about, like, uh, I believe we've got the best, like, country in the world and, like, it's great for people of color or something like that. And Sirach's like, huh. <laughs> right? But Sirach's willing to engage with that person because he realizes, like, how else do you change someone's worldview? You want to go surround yourself with people like you and no one will change. Surround yourself with people who are not like you, who think really differently than you. Learn to do life with them. Learn to listen a little bit. Maybe, just maybe, you're both stupid and wrong. Because I know that's true for me. How many number of things am I wrong about? I'm still wondering. All I know is I continue to unearth new things. So I have reason to believe that there is more there. I love that we have this church that has such diverse views on so many different things. Right, wrong, good, bad. Who knows? I'll never know what's going to come out of someone's mouth from our churches. And we're acting like that's some big problem. That our job is, the only way to create unity is that everyone would agree on things. As long as they espouse our views, then we can do church with them. What? As long as they think what we think, we can do church with them? No. How dare we? That exists, by the way. Our community exists with such distinct views and differences in opinions because we haven't demanded things in addition to Christ. It's not Christ and follow this Baptist doctrine. It's not Christ and you're woke. It's not Christ and you're a Republican. It's just Christ, simple devotion to Christ. You call Jesus Lord, I call you brother and sister. I might disagree completely with your political ideology, but you are my brother or you are my sister, and I love you, and I hope God will make it clear to us what the right way to see the world is. All I know is I love you too much and care too much about you as a person to let your ideology or your worldview create divisions between us. I would rather be wrong. I would rather be wrong, duh. I would rather be cheated than to allow there to be divisions between you and I. That's what Paul is espousing. He is saying that because in Christ, that's exactly what Jesus did. He said, I would rather be wronged and be with you. Doesn't that make sense? If Jesus demanded that the people that he was with were right, had the right worldview, or were righteous or good, then nobody would have been with Jesus. But your Lord, God of the universe, showed up as a person and said, I'd rather be wronged and cheated as long as it meant to, I could be with you. And what we're doing now is what Paul is doing to the Corinthian church. We're saying, Every problem finds its solution in Christ. How does Christ treat you? And now you're going to demand, even though Lord, the Lord of the universe didn't, you're going to demand that people think the way you think? That's why there are quarrels and divisions among you. Because you take the world's approach to differences. Yeah. It's about simple devotion to Christ. It's also why we refuse to put our foot down on debatable issues. 
Everyone's wondering, why don't we have a doctrine about this on the, on the website outright? Why don't we have a list of things that we believe and that you have to believe to be a part of our community? Why? Just because every other church does it? Not interested in that. Did, did Jesus do that? Did Jesus say, before you interact with me, prostitute, do you believe in this, that, this, 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 this? No. Does that mean that we're going to avoid those issues? Not at all. We're not going to avoid those issues. We want to talk about it together as a church. Listen to what the other people's perspectives in our churches are and do our best to move forward together in Christ. We'd rather think through these things together as a church pursuing the mind of Christ rather than simply make public statements. Public statements divide. Believe this. We all have to believe it. We disagree between our staff on different things. I love it. We disagree about lots of different things. You know what we agree on? Jesus Christ is Lord. That's unity. That's what Paul is saying. And we have to be a church of unity in that regard. Secondly, wisdom. Paul is talking about wisdom. My favorite verse in all of Scripture. Uh, in fact, um, Adriana the other day sent me a text saying, God laid this verse on my heart for you today. And I was like, sweet. That verse is always on my heart. Like, that is, that's God's word to me. I needed to hear this my whole life because I've been a doofus my whole life. I've still not grown out of it just yet. See eyebrow. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 1, 25 through 30 is it. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Oh, what a statement. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Here's where it really just cuts in. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. This is Paul being super sarcastic, by the way, for Christ. Sarcastic for Christ. Not many of you were wise by human standards, college students. Not many of you were influential. Yeah. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the things that are despised and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Here's a really cool statement. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. In other words, what Paul is saying is, do you want to know why you're sitting here? Because you are weak, foolish, lowly, despised, and a thing that is not. If you think that you are anything else, you have mistaken your faith. Paul reminds the Corinthian church about this. He essentially says, who the heck are you? You're nothing. You're nobody. It's because of Christ that you're anything at all. And we have to remind ourselves of that. So the problem, again, problem here with the Corinthian church is pride and worldly ideas masquerading as wisdom. Yeah. Oh, worldly ideas masquerading as wisdom. That's the foolishness that Paul is talking about. The wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And there's so much wisdom in the world, isn't there? I say that sarcastically. The solution, then, is wisdom in Christ alone. In Christ alone, there is true wisdom. When Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the light, he is not using hyperbole. He is saying all truth in the cosmos emanates from his being. He is the truth. He is the light. He is the way. All wisdom and truth emanates from him alone. The problem is that every idea comes from some worldview, and it's remarkable how few of our ideas are actually informed by the gospel. I've had conversation after conversation with people who espouse an idea, and I'm like, okay, like, 
where do you get that from scripture or from Christ? Like, where does that come from? They can point to the podcast they heard it in. They can point to the writer that they heard it from. But when Christians start to identify more with uh, uh, non-Christian writers and their understandings of the way that the world works, rather than Jesus's, there is a serious problem. In my profession, namely sociology, I have to read all kinds of non-Christian writers. There's plenty of good stuff that they have to say. But I have to eat the chicken and spit out the bones. What many, what many people are doing, however, is they're just swallowing it whole, and they get absorbed in a worldview that ends up being antithetical to Christ and the gospel. So I say, yes, our culture is plagued with all kinds of social problems, and the nature of them are, is, is kind of this, 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 and this. Agree. Check. The gospels say as much. But how should I fix that? How should I be involved in bringing that to Jesus? How can I be involved in creating a, a, a new heavens and a new earth and a new kingdom? How can I do that? Do I listen to what they say about that in their worldview? Or am I going to choose to listen to the gospel? Because they are mutually exclusive, you do see. The gospel is irrelevant to many ideologies, to most ideologies. It's foolishness to them. It's foolishness to them. And we've become so wise. But real, but real wisdom is not impressive to the world. Real wisdom is not common in the world. Because it is predicated first and foremost on the foolishness of the cross, which is what Paul is saying. The cross is seeming defeat. It is unfair justice. It is true mercy. It is pain and suffering for others. There are no worldly thinkers that think like that. Because it is foolishness to them. But for us, it is the wisdom of God. The only true wisdom, I might point out. What's that mean for how we think we can change the world? What does that mean for how we treat our enemies and those who wrong us? What does it mean for how we spend our time? What does it mean for everything? Beware of those who are so wise by culture's standards. If Christ hasn't become our wisdom, if the foolishness of the cross has not marked our lives, we may be relevant to the world, but we are completely irrelevant in the kingdom of God. Beware of becoming irrelevant in the kingdom of God by becoming relevant in this time. And finally, the Spirit. Paul talks about him in 1 Corinthians 2 quite a bit. But in verse 14 through 16, he speaks more specifically. He says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You might begin to see a pattern here. He says, you're divisive and quarrelsome. Look at Jesus. Rally only under him. He says, you think you're wise, but you're actually a bunch of fools. Your youthful arrogance has led you into sin. And he says, look at true wisdom. It's peace-loving, it's gentle, it's self-sacrificial. It is the cross. And then he summarizes the whole thing by saying, you have the spirit of the world and not the spirit of God. If you want to have true Unity, if you want to have true wisdom, you must walk with the Spirit of God. So the problem is people having the spirit of the world, and like he says in verse 12, which is divisions and pride and foolishness and worldly thinking that's not predicated on the cross. The solution, he says, is the spirit who is from God and the mind of Christ. 
as he would say in Galatians 5.25 to the church there. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And let me tell you, it's not easy. It's the product of devotion to God, speaking with and listening to God, worshiping God every day, learning and loving his word. It's the product of denying yourself, leaning in to to suffering for the sake of others, and it's the development of a vibrant personal relationship with Yahweh. But whenever I ask people that are espousing these kinds of worldviews that don't match up with Christ, tell me about what's going on with you in Christ right now. What's going on in your relationship with God? It's never, man, I just have a really vibrant one. I've been talking to him all the time. I've been reading the scripture. I've been really like leaning into what it is that God is saying. It is not that. In most cases, you know, they are struggling to even believe in God anymore. And I don't say that to disparage anybody at all. That has been common. I've had four of those conversations in the last month, four of them. And that is a place where we together as a church have to go and humbly lift up those people, serve them, lead them back into a loving relationship with Christ. But we have to do that with each other. So if, if having the Spirit of God is that first set of things, you heard of it, like worshiping, speaking with God, learning to love his word and listening to it more than the most recent book or podcast. Or rather, as we read books, that we would compare and contrast them to the gospel. Oh, what an idea. Rather than just take the book at face value, we'd ask, how does this match up with the truth of God? <laughs> but it seems like such an obvious thing to do, and yet we fail to do it so often. Having the spirit of the world is the product of listening to worldly perspectives without weeding out lies or asking how they match up with the gospel. It's living like the world does. Work, home, veg out, repeat. Work, home, veg out, repeat. Numbing through through substances and entertainment. Failing to pursue God and pursuing worldly goals instead taking the same cynical, critical view of the world and becoming just as lost as the world is. That's the spirit of the world. Paul's solution is that we learn to follow the spirit's guidance, that without him we can't have unity in our church, we can't be wise, and we can't know God. So I want us to take a minute to just each look at our own lives and ask if, not if we've fallen short here, but exactly how and where. I'm going to ask a few questions, and I want us together to think through these things, okay? Just think about this. You can feel free to journal or just think. Where have I failed to have and maintain the spirit of unity? Where have I failed to have and to maintain the spirit of unity? Have I been divisive? Have I spoken poorly of others? Have I thought poorly of others who thought differently than I did, brothers and sisters in Christ? Where have I failed to internalize the wisdom of God, namely the cross? Where have I failed to internalize the cross? How have I been choosing to be wise by the world's standards? Does my wisdom look different than the world's? Does it look like the cross or does it not? And then finally, where have I had the spirit of the world instead of the spirit of Christ? Have I been trying to actually keep in step with the spirit of God at all lately? Listening to him, going to him for wisdom, going to him 
whenever I feel all kinds of things? Where have I had the spirit of the world instead of the spirit of Christ? I'm going to say a prayer for us and then Josh, you doing announcements? Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Father, to Christ be all things, God. To Christ belongs all things. I pray that you would help us to be a church that is rooted in Christ and rooted in the truth of the gospel. That when we see things and hear things that don't match up with the gospel, that our very, very first thing to do would be to look at Christ and to ask if it matches, to ask if it is true. God, give us great wisdom from your spirit in that. Make us a unified church, Father, that though we might think and believe different things, God, that we know that everything is and goes through Christ and that we would be completely unified and have the same mind in that regard. I pray that you build up this community and that you would bless it. God, that you would help us together to pursue truth and to never lose sight of Jesus our Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Josh. There we go. Hey, Garrett, thanks for being here anyway, for powering through the blood and concussion or whatever is going on there, but um, thanks for doing that. There's a few of you parents here for Parents Weekend this week, and I think some might have already trailed off, but thanks for being here. We love getting to hang out with your kids, your students, and worship together with them. It is a very special thing, and so it's nice to have you, and we're glad you all are joining us this morning. And um, I want to say, as, we, as you guys know, we're doing this new sermon series. We're asking you guys to keep up with 1 Corinthians as we read through it. One of our values as a church is a love of God's Word, and we've recognized that's one we need to all grow in a lot. And so each week, sometimes we'll throw you a curveball, like doing chapters 1 and 2 twice. Oops. But we'll be reading, we'll be asking you to read two chapters a week of 1 Corinthians, and uh, it'll help really lay the groundwork for whatever, whoever's going to preach whatever Sunday is going to be talking about, for us to already be familiar as a church with those chapters. We're not going to throw you a curveball next week. Next week it is... Chapters 15 and 16, out of order on purpose for Easter Sunday, and we're not going to change that up on you, so don't worry. <laughs> um, and also, it's not, that, it's not that bad to have accidentally read chapters 3 and 4 and then spend more time learning from 1 and 2 again, you know? It's like, it's not the worst thing in the world. I read a little bit of the Bible that I didn't need to read for, for church on Sunday. You know, it's not the worst thing. Amen? Um, the next thing is that the women's book club that Opal and Kaylee are leading is already kicking off a little bit. So, but if you want to join in, if you missed that, you missed the boat on that, please please sign up. And I don't think it's too late because they're not meeting for until later this month. But it is at dentnorthchurch.com slash ladies book club. You can sign up and also see more information about that. And Opal's sitting right over here. I'm not sure where Kaylee is, but oh yeah, there she is. You can ask them some questions too if you want to. So please sign up for that. It's open to everyone, adults and students alike, um, but only ladies. So that's the only barrier there. Yeah. Sorry, no reading for guys. <laughs> the next thing is that we are having an all-church picnic. <laughs> April 30th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Go to dentonorthchurch.com slash cookout to sign up for that and look behind me, take a picture. I love this. Look at that. They're like, I want to remember this. Let me take a picture of it. So wait, when is the, uh, when's the cookout? Sorry. Right, right, right. And what time is it at? 6 nice. Okay, 6 a.m. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You be there, Adam. Just in case it's at 6 a.m., why don't you go ahead? You don't want to risk it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's a good time. We want to do that before the students start wrapping up for the year, and they, you know, we have some students to go back home during the summer. So it's just a really good time to break bread together, hang out, fellowship. Please make that a priority. Um, I know it can be a busy time of year for some people. But just take a little bit of time. You don't have to say it for the whole thing. Come eat a hot dog, hamburger, hang out, and let's just have fun together. So please don't miss it. Sterling is not going to. He's beaming ear to ear. No one in this room is more excited about this picnic than Sterling right now, okay? Let's all be a little more Sterling. Amen? Yeah. 
And then the last thing I want to say is, <laughs> the last thing I want to say is, um, the our giving is at DentonNorthChurch.com slash donate. And we also have been telling you guys for the past few weeks, we have a Venmo now, which is at Denton North Church. And one thing I wanted to tell you guys, a little idea, we used to actually have a little, when we did coffee two years ago before a, there was a pandemic, I think, something like that happened, and we stopped doing coffee, now we're doing it again. We had a little change jar for the coffee fund. And you know what's funny is like, who does who has change anymore, right? What even is that? So if you want to just give a dollar or something just for your coffee into the coffee fund, the digital coffee fund, you can totally do that. Nothing's stopping you. But I'm just going to say a short prayer, and then we'll get out of here, start stacking chairs, and um, we can hang out and talk and mingle for the next... We got, we got some time, actually. We got like 45 minutes. So anyway, um, Lord, thank you so much for this chance just to still get to hear from your word. Thank you for getting Garrett here safely um, and in mostly one piece. Um, Lord, as we look to your word, as we look to 1 Corinthians, um, I just pray that you'd help show us as a church, as individuals, uh, what you want us to hear, what word you have for us. Please guide our steps. Help us to be more unified, a more wise, a more Christ-centered church and as individuals. Um, Lord, you're, you're so good to us. Thanks for the patience that you have with us as we stumble through and wander and, um, and, and kind of turn different directions and whatnot, Lord. Uh, thanks for your patience with us and for being such a good guide that's ready to take our arm and guide us back on the right path whenever we are. Um, Lord, thanks so much. You're so good to us. Be with us this week as we go. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.